This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial-grade AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI Podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and today we are talking about the AI Act, which was passed at the weekend. My guests are Bernard Nessler. Welcome. Hello, Bernard. Hi, everybody. And Thomas Doms. Hello, Thomas. Welcome. Hello, Robert. Hi, everyone. Bernard works at the Software Competence Center Hagenberg and Thomas at the TÜV Austria, and together they work at Trustify. Bernard, what is Trustify? Uh, Trustify is the new corporation that we have founded uh, based on our joint project between uh, the University JKU in Linz, the SCCH and the TÜV Austria. And together we have founded Trustify in order to provide certification for AI systems for the industry. Okay, so let's talk about the AI Act. What are the most important results, Thomas? I think the most important results are that we now have a have a regulation that covers uh, high-risk AI systems and tells us how to deal with them. And there are key requirements defined uh, for these uh, AI systems and what is also prohibited in the use of AI and how we could handle and with general purpose AI and uh, open source systems is also defined and, and ruled now. And this will help us in successful implementation and driving this innovative technology, I think, in industrial environments, uh, medical devices and other usual applications we need in our daily life. Let's talk about this high risk from an industrial perspective. What are now high-risk applications? It is dependent on where the AI system is implemented and how it is implemented in the development process, especially for safety components of specific products. So if we may find, for example, in vision detection of, of people in collaborative uh, systems uh, with collaborative robots. There is, for example, a video surveillance to detect a employee who is getting into the surrounding of the collaborative robot and might be harmed. So therefore, there are some rules that uh, these safety components have to be tested, not only from a functional safety perspective, but also from an AI safety perspective. So How reliable is the AI system, the AI component? What could be possible risks? What can we expect about the reliability of the minimum performance of the systems? What kind of uncertainty we do have to cover within operations, for example? And also how to protect these components from outside manipulation, so from attackers, for example. So security perspective is also important also from the AI Act regulation. Okay. So one part is also medical devices. So we are not focused on medical devices in this podcast, but also vehicles. So that's an important part, vehicles. You mentioned, already mentioned safety applications and critical infrastructure. And my question is now, so what happens if I use a, a PLC that is used in, is used in the critical infrastructure and maybe there are ML models trained on this or uh, on this PLC or works with some ML models. Is it also then a high-risk application? Hi, it's me, Barbara. I'm not the AI specialist, but I learned you do not want to deploy an ML model on your PLC. Nevertheless, let's listen what Thomas says. Mm. 
this would be following the rules of the AI Act. This is a high-risk application. And uh, it also has a, an interlinkage to the new machinery directive, which is also demanding that systems like PLCs in this inter critical infrastructure area has to be tested against also AI risks. How do you test against AI risk? Yeah, we have we have a testing catalog which uh, consists of three main pillars. In the center, there are the, the functional requirements. Uh, so the criteria, which is depending on the AI functionalities and the along the life cycle of developing and operating an AI system. And beneath, we have two other pillars, which is a secure self software development process. So preventing attacks from malicious people outside. And ethics and, and data privacy if uh, personal data is also proceeded in, within the AI system. Bernhard, I want to introduce you to the, to the podcast. What surprised you most last weekend? <laughs> I was quite surprised in the end that at all uh, they found an agreement because there were many different opinions around the AI Act. But a political solution was in the end found. Uh, but we have to see that it is a political solution. And uh, problems are usually uh, sort of devilish in the details. So there are a lot of parts of that regulation that I think we will still have uh, a lot of problems with it. For example? So in principle, I, I think it is a good idea that we have a regulation to, to make that clear. So I'm not against regulations. So where do you see problems? One of the problems, for example, that me as a researcher concerns the most is the, let me put it right, the fact that there are still restrictions on open source publications and open source development. That is an essential part of research. I mean, we have succeeded in the last, say, 20 years that there is uh, ethics of researchers, of mainly technical researchers, that all research that is published has to be published together with all models, together with all source code together with all data in order to replicate the research results. And the AI Act now uh, makes some regulations on models, so on published research, on open source publication of research that contains strong AI components. And of course, all research that is done with AI contains such models. And every researcher now has to fear that uh, if he just publishes his model, that he might have overlooked some relation that the AI Act puts, and then he is in danger of paying uh, really huge fines. That means that every university in Europe will tell their researchers not to publish openly uh, their results anymore. And thus, I think this point of the AI Act really hinders open and transparent and responsible research in Europe more than it serves it. But I thought it was, it's an exemptions, national security, military and defense, R&D and open source. <laughs> yeah, uh, except if the R&D concerns general purpose AI modules. Ah, okay. That is one of the points of the details. In the detail, uh, there is, in, uh, at least in the last draft that I have seen, and it was not yet clear that this is not part of the agreement, there were uh, still regulations that even open source publishing of models requires you to keep certain values and to provide certain documentations, which is all fine if your primary goal is publishing an AI module for certain purposes. But if your primary goal is doing research and having one research element that you are looking for and that uh, you experimented with and presenting to your fellow researchers what you have done here, then this is never meant to be used by everybody, but it should be open to everybody in order to 
uh, carry on doing research on that. Because I was surprised because I think yesterday Jan Lecan tweeted something like, oh, I'm very happy because our Llama open source model and Mistral and Aleph Alpha model is out of the regulation. So is it now out or in? <laughs> Honestly, as nobody has yet seen the final concluded verbs, uh, the text itself that for the final version, it is impossible to say. If Lecun is happy with it, I'm pretty happy too. But I have also read other tweets from Lecun that he, with what he is not happy in the IAC, so I'm I'm pretty sure that there are still some points that, that have to be reviewed carefully. Okay. So, Thomas, where do we stand now? What happens next from a political point of view, but also then when, it, when we talk about business and certification? Yeah, I think from a political point of view, we should be happy enough that some major issue has been tackled by the AI Act. So there were some discussions in the last week that might have led into a, a more unsecure and unsafe situation uh, regarding AI systems and how to deal with them. You mean the Italian and German idea? And intervention, yeah, <laughs> so to say. I think what we are most missing are how to get this regulation into, into daily life and to implement it into a daily business. So looking at the standardization groups, we are missing norms and standards which describe what are the requirements, for example, to test high-risk applications. And we know from our work in, in cooperation in these groups and in working groups, that there are also different discussions how to define these requirements, how deep should be AI systems tested, what are AI risks, what are ethical constraints. There is so much not actually defined at the moment that it is hard to say when the AI will come into place in 2025, what will be tested, what will be the criteria um, for accuracy for transparency and and so on so these are the next tasks with a with a standardization group with the working groups i expect that it will be one of the major parts that we have to tackle with in within the next months and maybe yeah till 2025 but it's only 12 months right <laughs> yes <laughs> when we talk about standardization in this industrial application we talk about cobots and robots and yeah. 12 months is not a long time thomas i expect that it is not enough time so my fear is a little bit that we will start with a low level certification approach with many only process related uh, testing criteria and not really dealing with the functional trustworthiness of the systems uh, itself which is which is the center of, of our testing approach, for example. Can you please explain a bit your testing approach and what is different to maybe others? Yeah, for us, it is very important that we have a testing approach where we say for the use case, for the specific use case where the ML model is, is trained for and, and developed for, we have to define a minimum performance requirement based on the technical domain of the use case. And it is very important for us as well that there is a risk evaluation of this use case, um, covering all the topics from functional safety, security, and the AI functionalities, for example. And that we can define independent tests on, on independent samples um, of the data domain. And that we can see that the system is behaving like expected, that it is stable for that. What kind of data do you use there? Real life data then? 
Uh, usually, we, we keep an eye on that. It is that there's real life data used, uh, but of course, also for the training and, and for testing, customers of our of us uh, are using also synthetic data, and we have. To, data quality requirements also for this synthetic data, of course. I have one more question, Bernhard. Does everyone now need a certification or even if it's not a high-risk application? So this is still something that I don't know what the final model is, but at least if you are not in a high-risk application environment, the needs are very, very minimal. So uh, there are even applications where some were documenting that it's an AI application with, with some uh, very minimal documentation set. You have nothing to do with that. Uh, so the AI Act uh, makes this distinction according to the different risks. But as soon as you are in the high-risk realm, and a lot of applications will be in that realm because they have to do something with people uh, or might have something to do with robotics, for example, then you are immediately in the high-risk regime. And those have to be thoroughly tested. And there are, there are still uh, different approaches. You can have a third party for this testing or you can do a self-test under certain uh, under so self-certification under certain conditions, which I think is one of the points that were still discussed and as far as I got it, is still allowed. But let me come to, a, to one of the other problems uh, that the AI Act reveals. There are two different kinds of applications of, of AI at the moment. One is just the machine learning part of it, so the hitherto uh, known method of applying AI, Uh, to specific systems where you train a specific model to specific a specific application. This is what we can test at the moment, and this is what we can test very clearly with clear mathematical backgrounds. And then you have the very recent advancements of large language models, ChatGPT and the like, mm -hmm. and their application uh, and generative models, and their application for more or less any purpose. And this is one of the shortcomings of the AI Act, that they tried to make the same measures for both kind of models. And these are completely different things. But you can check an LLM during an application, or I am wrong? Yeah, yeah, in principle. But this has to be taken with a, with a grain of salt, you know. I mean, we can, for example, have a system where a large language model serves as kind of a preprocessor in order to analyze the input and gives a, a certain analytic result out of that, and then have a traditional machine learning decision module behind that input processing. This, as a whole, can be classified and tested like every hitherto machine learning module, with strong mathematical basis for that, and no problem. But as soon as you get into a discussion, so to say, into an interactive operation with a large language model, into an interactive dialogue with a generative model to produce something that you want. This is kind of uh, adversarial attack. So if that what you want is, uh, so to say, not desired, then you still will achieve that the model uh, responds with what you want, because that is in the interaction. Thomas, what is your opinion on Gen AI and the AI Act? I have to add, this is not a problem as long as you admit that everybody can is responsible for what he has created. But that system as a whole cannot be guaranteed that it is correct in any way. It produces what the user wants, and you cannot certify what the user wants. Thomas, what is your opinion on Gen AI and the AI Act? Yeah, I think Bernard described the, the problems in well-defined ways. So there is basic research for, for testing generative AI models strongly needed within the future. 
And it's it's a new technology that when we started our testing catalog wasn't wasn't even available for the public and for public applications. So that is one of our of our working packages for the futures as well to strive for the criteria there. I think if we see that as a data pre-processing part or a pre-trained model used in a specific use case. We are partly able at the moment to, to cover the aim of, of testing it, but with some constraints, of course, that Bernard mentioned. But on the other side, I, I see at our customer basis that in the first start, the general pre-trained models were, were used for the office applications. So a little bit of knowledge management, a little bit of chatbots. Patent research and stuff. Yeah? Yes, research and such stuff. Uh, but at the moment, it, it changes a little bit. So... First, uh, companies develop on basis of, for example, chat GPT models that are able to help and uh, support uh, the maintenance stuff and uh, giving information how to generate code for PLCs. Yeah. And for example, for that, generate code for PLCs might, might be the next uh, application area. And then we have to think a lot about the risks coming from these, these model classes. So they hallucinate, they, what was the training basis for this code generation? We can't really define the quality of data that was used for training purposes. So there are some barriers that we did not know at the moment how to handle with it and to go on with these barriers for testing. And that will lead for, to some difficulties, even though more as we see that the speed of adoption is really much faster than the speed of knowledge evolvement for testing these systems. What should a company now do, Bernard? It depends on what the company is as for a business and what they want to achieve. Machine building company uh, with PLC, with robots, they install maybe a robot next to their machine. They have safety topics. They want to have machine learning. They go their first steps with machine learning models, have their own models, maybe want to sell models. What should this company do? They should invest all that they can in order to uh, develop the most efficient methods for their own business, so develop their own models, develop their own uh, ideas for integrating their models, as long as they just use it in-house and use it as a research endeavor, so to say. They are out of the AI Act, so that's no problem. As soon as, of course, they sell systems with embedded modules that uh, come from AI, then, of course, they sell AI systems, then they are in the AI Act and have to look how, how to deal with that. But I mean, for these realms, for these applications, uh, the AI Act made, I think, a good approach of regulating it. So as soon as there are risks in the final applications, then you have to take due care uh, to solve and mitigate those risks. And that's what the AI Act was for, so for product development. So I think the same as, uh, as before is valid, just put the best effort in it because that's the future. The main problem is when there are companies that develop general purpose AI, because I, th I think general purpose AI should not have been regulated with that AI Act, because as it says, it is just general purpose and you have no application at which you can measure what risks arise or do not arise. And that is the main, so to say, cross-border thing that the AI Act did, that it tried on one side to really approach, uh, take the risk-based approach, which is a good idea for products that are brought into the market, which again is a good idea and consistent. But on some point, they thought, okay, there is something new like ChatGPT. We should regulate that too. And I think this was, so to say, the, the shortcoming. This was the point where they just went 
beyond the initial goal of that of the DI Act, and that's where the regulation falls behind the technical methods. You have to know, I mean, large language models and ChatGPT, this is not the end of AI. This is not where now we have AI and that's it. This is the starting point. So what will come will have nothing to do with those large language models, with those chatbots that we have now. It will be based on them. It will include them, but it will build upon them and it will go far, far beyond them. And if we have uh, 10 large language models, uh, so to say, working together in an AI system, then we get completely different problems than with one large language model at the moment, for example. So that is the point, uh, regulating this intermediate step in development, this, this most recent research result that is currently uh, visible to the public. To try to regulate that is just not helpful in view of the AIs to come, so to say. Thomas, what should companies do now from your point of view? Invest in documentation, process development? What tasks should they do now? I would think that it would make sense to start to form and build up uh, interdisciplinary teams, for example, combining data scientists and domain expertise. And based on this, of course, implement AI governance model. So with rules and roles that are defined, data governance implementation so that I can train my models and test my models with high quality data. I would suggest not to start with the most complex models. So get experiences with lower complexity of the use case and the models to gain experience. And of course, there, for example, within the next month, there will be available an ISO 42001, which is for AI management. And this will help to implement processes for the development and the operations of AI systems. And uh, I think that could be a good yeah, navigating point and starting point for defining criteria for, for my own organization. What do I need for my AI um, governance? And when I now want to sell models in the future, or is it because I'm an automation company, maybe mid-size automation company, I produce PLCs, but now I want to also sell some ML models. What are my tasks now? <laughs> yeah, I think acting as a software producer brings new liabilities and new maintenance uh, <laughs> challenges. I think you have to prepare for that. It's not so easy because with the AI comes a new product liability for introducing these uh, systems into the market. And if you start with the testing of your of your model and your certification of your model, and then we see in this data-driven development, we see a need also for implementing a monitoring on my system so that I see if there is a data or model drift. So I could detect that and, and react to that. I will have to define rules for the updates of my model and how could I cope with the with the challenges of continual learning, for example. At the moment, it is the point of, of basic research for AI. There are no clear criteria of how to get the quality of my, my updates uh, managed. Uh, so There is no yes. possible guarantee that uh, a system that has guarantees ke still keeps these guarantees after you make updates. Okay. That, that is the problem. Okay. How we will handle that in the future? At the moment, you just have to, re to retest it after you have made updates and in principle test it with the same depth and same diligence as you did the original model, which is, of course, inefficient. So we will see how industry applications will deal with that problem. Because, of course, as soon as you change the model, everything is open, everything could happen. But 
probably the model will be rather similar to the last. And this is precisely the, again, the border where we have to find the nice catch in order to see efficient recertifications of updated modules. But that is one of the points where we and uh, also others are working on uh, in order to find the adequate testing procedures for updates of models. You mentioned recertification, but when we will see the first certification based on the AI Act, Thomas? It depends on two main points. So we have to see what is the concrete outcome of the AI Act when we see the, whole, the entire text. And we need more concrete criteria coming from the standardization committees. But I think With our interpretation in our testing catalog, we are nearly up to the most criteria points. We are able to cover the demands of the AI Act at the moment, still at the moment. And we have performed some pilot certifications within the last month, uh, have issued some conditional certificates, for example, to medical device system and to a traffic sign recognition classifier. And we think that at the end of 2024, we should be able to cope with most of the classical AI models demands coming from the AI Act. I mean, if you ask for tasks specifically, then I could say one thing. I mean, of course, you have to be aware that you know what your data is, you know what your data pipelines are, you know uh, how to keep your test data completely separate from others. So the testing data that you really want in order uh, to take in afterwards has not to be seen by anyone who is involved in the development of the AI module. This is something that most will probably not observe that strict as, as we would like it, but Then the most important thing is if you want to really carry out a responsible AI development, then all those decisions that you take along that route that you go in order to develop your model have to be taken, so to say, consciously, knowingly, with the idea in mind what are alternatives. So if you use one kind of model, one architecture of model, why do I choose this architecture, not another one? If you choose your path of how to optimize, why Do I choose this optimizer and why don't I choose the other one? What are baseline modules? Uh, with which modules do I have to compare myself? How do I really see if my module decides on the basis of the right contents of the right decisions or Does it decide on superficial other inputs that are, uh, will not be present in the real application then? To which extent do my uh, training data differ from the real application data in the end application afterwards? There is usually a certain difference, but it should be kept as small as possible and argued about what are the differences here. So just take all the decisions that you have and reflect on them such that you know why you are doing what you're doing. This, I think, is the most essential general guideline. And then you will have no problem either with the certification that comes out of, of the future standards or with the certification that we can give you at the moment already from Justify. Thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you very much, Bernard. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Robert. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody. <laughs>